Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. So this week, we are very excited to be joined by Firf Brownoff to talk about the evening cicada and cicadas in general. Yeah, so we actually covered cicadas almost 70 episodes ago back in summer 2020. That's so many episodes ago. (laughs) I know. If you were there with us at that time, like, thank you so much. You are the OG fans. I don't know. We were quite new to it then, and we're really excited to revisit cicadas again with like someone who actually knows a lot about them and, yeah, kind of get back into it. Yeah. So I know for from, I, I guess, what what would we call, like, we're lab co-workers, kind of? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, we, I think we started, like, working in Carol's lab as NSERC students at the same summer on the same project, and now we... I'm a student and you actually work for for Carol. So I don't know what that relationship is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're lab mates, I guess, would be the probably the proper word. But yeah, so we've known each other for a couple of years. We both go to the University of Alberta, or I guess I went to the University of Alberta. I now work there. And yeah, in, in Dr. Carol Frost's lab. So we've done some work on some some bugs from New Caledonia. Firf has worked a lot on spiders as well. So we have him talking today about cicadas, but uh, you also know a lot about spiders, which is really cool. And from New Caledonia of all places. Uh, I want to take a chance to brag about Firf because I know he won't brag about himself, <laughs> but uh, he also discovered new species of spider. At least one. Was it two? Whoa. Uh, well, yeah, we're in the process of, of describing uh, the one right now and Hopefully we can get that going by the end of the year. Well, not the end of this year, but um, <laughs> in the next year. Yeah, which is very exciting. So, yeah, congrats on that. Maybe they'll add it to Animal Crossing one day. <laughs> <laughs> Major goals. Yeah, so I guess we should get into the cicadas. Yeah, totally. We're going to let Furf take it away in a sec. But, of course, before we get into it, we have to check with Blathers. <laughs> So if you bring an evening cicada to Blathers, he'll say, The evening cicada certainly knows how to ruin a quiet moment. As the sun sets, it strikes up a sad song so sonorous one can't hear one's own thoughts. I'd feel sorry for its melancholy moods if it weren't so very vocal about how it feels. Ugh, please pipe down. Yeah, uh, Blathers doesn't really like bugs. Yeah. So all of his quotes are kind of (laughs) mean. I've noticed that uh, trend so far with with bugs that y'all have covered. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I like his um he's very poetic in this one. Like sonorous is just a really good word. So with cicadas, I know you've had a lot of personal experiences with them, but like what what got you so interested in cicadas in the first place? Well, I think this is probably a pretty good tie-in for the evening cicada. So. The scientific name is Tana japonensis, and it's a cicada uh, from Japan. And my first exposure, like, to cicadas actually came through... My last degree was in Japanese studies. And so I had done a lot of, like, language and history and sort of cultural studies uh, of Japan. 
And in a lot of the no plays and stuff like that, they would evoke imagery of cicadas. And almost like in hearing Blather's description of this, it, it's like you said, it's very poetic. And it, it seems like it's almost like calling or making like an allusion to that. But when I moved to Japan, the very first thing that I encountered, that I remember anyway, was a cicada. And it was about midnight or so, and I was walking through a very, very hot Tokyo and came across this kind of garden area, this park, and saw this bright green thing hanging from a tree, the biggest, well, not biggest, but the brightest red eyes I had ever seen on something like that. I had no idea what it was. And then through my time there, I started to hear them more throughout the summers. And I just thought that they're the coolest looking thing that I could ever imagine. They're so strange and clumsy and they leave these, you know, exuviate the, the, the husks kind of, of, of their nymph phases everywhere. They're just the craziest things, I think. I think they're so stunning looking. Their life history is crazy and... Yeah, they're just remarkable little creatures. Were you into bugs at this point when you went to Japan or It was because of Japan that I got into bugs. Like seeing all of the the beetles, the stag beetles and the rhinoceros beetles and all the big spiders of just the the neatest colors on them. That's really what got me focused on insects in general. Yeah. That's so cool because we talk about that quite a bit on the podcast just how being a Nintendo game, a lot of sort of the lore of the game and the animals that are in the museum come from Japan. So it's it's cool to have like an actual sort of Japan expert to talk about it as well, because I think it's really cool. We talk about that quite a bit, too, is just sort of having this non-Western perspective, like talking about things like sea grapes and stuff that people here probably have never heard of, but are like a popular snack. You know, I I, I really think that it's an amazing culture, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert by any means. So um, <laughs> so apologies if I lead anybody astray. Can you tell us about, I don't know, where we should start with cicadas? Like, what what's like your something you really want to share that like, when people start talking about cicadas, like you, you just have to tell them? Okay, well, like the first thing, I think when people ask me why I like cicadas so much, the answer that I give is that I think that they are honestly the coolest looking thing in the world. If you were to hire all of the best graphic designers or, uh, you know, video game designers in the world and told them, make a cooler looking creature, it couldn't be done. I, I truly believe that. Um, so that's like my personal bias. But I think what's really a big misconception, and I, I listened to the other um, episode you did, uh, Olivia and Sophia, and all of the information that you gave on the periodicals were great. And I think that folks should go back and listen to that 100%. And you, you definitely touched on this in the episode, but what people don't realize, I think, is that there are, you know, there are periodical cicadas that erupt in these massive numbers every 13 or 17 years. And then there are the annual cicadas that we have here in Alberta, or, you know, they've got fairly wide distribution across the world, and so many different places have them. Their, their uh, diversity is really quite remarkable in terms of uh, not just their looks, but their sizes, and 
depth of sounds that they make, when they make their sounds, things like that. So they're they're really quite diverse, even though they're all cicadas. Are there any cicadas that don't look like the traditional cicada, or do they all have a similar body plan with the big eyes in the front, sort of those wings that come together in, in sort of a point in the center of their body? Is that sort of how they all look, and sort of they vary more around color and size? Yeah, and there will be things like uh, like even like the how wide their heads are, uh, like where the eyes would be on the the kind of like the lateral um, portions of the head. They might be wider in some, more narrow in others, or their mouth part, which it's called a, a or it's not a mouth part, but it's the very front of their uh, their heads called the clypeus or clepius. Um, it almost looks like a the grill off of like an old um, hot rod or like some old farm truck or something like that. And those can be various shapes and sizes, uh, all similar, but yeah, they, they have very similar body plans, but there'll be slight variations, like bigger leg segments and, and stuff in certain species or certain genera. And, and in terms of sound, like I've heard the sort of general buzzing sound can you talk a little bit more about how they make that sound? I know we talked about it in our last episode on cicadas, but I want people joining to yeah learn all about the the sounds that they make because that's such a distinct attribute of this amazing animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's the the male adult cicadas that are calling to females after they've uh, emerged from their nymph stage, and they have this membrane called well, it's a, it's a temple membrane and. They basically, like you, you'd said in the other episode, it's, it's almost like clicking a, like a Snapple cap or something like that. So it, it clicks and makes these, they've got all of these different noises that they make, but some species will have it so that it's correlated with different temperatures. And so that's when their body is going to make those sounds. But yeah, they're, they're typically calling to mates in order to do that. So in that case, would only males have them or would females have that ability to make that sound as well? The females don't make that sound, no. So it's the males calling and you also hear another common sound if you're lucky enough to get close enough and they stop their their screeching, you'll hear the males click their wings a little bit. It's very, very slight, but you just hear, it's like, uh, you know, imagining someone snapping their fingers twice really fast and then stops and then they do it again, stops do it again, silence, and then they start their singing again. So it's almost like they're announcing themselves. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) They're like, hey guys, I'm about, the show's about to start, better (laughs) gather around. (laughs) Yeah. You told this awesome story yesterday at our like Christmas party lab meeting. This is what I love about Firf is like, there will always be a cicada story. (laughs) I feel like I've learned so much just like offhand. Uh, But yeah, we were in the meeting and you told this story about when you were in Ontario trying to find them and using the snapping, can you describe that? Yeah, so this is um, probably a PSA to anybody that ever goes outside with me. But if I hear a cicada calling, I will absolutely drop everything, not say a word, and disappear to go and try and find it. So you should probably keep like, a, I don't know, like a jingle bell or something like that on me if you need to keep track of where <laughs> I'm at. But We were in Ontario, and so across North America, there are about 172 species of cicadas. And we have, like in Canada, there are three species primarily all that that are the the common ones. There are more than that, but the uh, Say's cicada, we got the 
at Canadian Cicada and then the Mountain Cicada. And so I was working in Ontario and I was getting out of my work truck and my boss was in the truck preparing everything. And I heard a cicada way off in the distance up some gravel hill on the side of a cliff. And I took off for it as quietly as possible. I feel like even though it was, you know, 500 meters away, I couldn't say a word to my boss because that might alert the cicada of my presence. And so as I got, every time I get close to them, they stop their singing, so I can't locate them anymore. But I was listening to a podcast with some scientists on cicadas, and they were talking about how if you click your fingers at them, then they will respond to that as if it's another cicada or something like that. And so I tried, okay, I'll click my fingers at it. I did that, and then I heard it clicking its wings back, and I thought, this is, okay, this is perfect. And so this cicada, I kept trying to locate it as best as I could while slipping up a gravel slope and clicking my fingers at it. And eventually I found it, yeah, at the base of a, a sagebrush shrub and collected it and, and brought it over to my boss who had wondered where I had gone. And uh, <laughs> that was really all the explanation that she needed. But yeah, if like I, I'm not certain if that works for every species, but yeah, it, it certainly worked in this case. And then again, from the the experts that were studying uh, cicadas that I'd heard it from initially. That's awesome. I love it when you hear these like little tidbits about how to like attract animals or find animals, and they actually work. So often they're like not great advice necessarily, but yeah, that's really I'll have to try that next time I hear a cicada. Although I can't remember the last time I have. I know they're in the river valley, but I've yet to see one. They're pretty elusive in Canada anyway. Well, Olivia and I are in Ed Edmonton. In the late, I would say late May, early June, to me, what a cicada sounds like for the species of Okanagana that we have here, it just sounds like a hot summer day. Like it, it sounds like an oppressively <laughs> hot summer day. And they typically are way up in the canopies of trees. So they're really, really difficult to get a good look at. But elsewhere, like when I lived in Japan, I would find them everywhere. So so how many species are there like in the whole world? And are they found everywhere? I honestly don't know how many species there are in the whole world. Like I said, there are 172 in North America with 22 subspecies, I believe. And... I would wager that you can find them everywhere with the exception, probably the poles. However, so this is in Canada, at least, they are noted, their distribution is in every province and territory except for Yukon, I believe it's the Northwest Territories, and Newfoundland and Labrador. But they've been found huh. north of Quebec, like up in northern Quebec as well. And so my assumption is is that just like these are based off of distribution maps from 2013. I'm assuming that they just haven't found one yet. An entomologist interested in cicadas, which are rather few to be honest, but I'm assuming they haven't found one there yet. There's a similar thing with spiders in Canada. There's a Linophead spider. So Linophiidae is a, a, a family of spiders and it's present in BC and it's present in Saskatchewan but there's no distribution that has been noted in Alberta. And it's very unlikely that it's not distributed here. It's just that 
we failed to to notice it. That's really interesting because, yeah, I would think, okay, like, makes sense. Yukon and Northwest Northwest Territories, for those who aren't familiar with the geography of Canada, that's very far north. But it's it's weird to me that they wouldn't be in Newfoundland and Labrador. Like, yes, that's pretty far north, but, like, it's also... I, I would think of it as a more temperate area. Yeah. And I mean, we get them up even like further north in Alberta as well. So I just, and, and if there's, uh, you know, sightings up in areas of the tundra anyway, like not, not necessarily Yukon, but it just seems like somebody hasn't noticed it yet. So they are in the tundra. Well, yeah, there's, there's one, there's one species that for sure, and I believe it's in Nunavut, um, so now that I'm saying this, I'm wondering if it's Northwest Territories. It's one of the two, and I feel terrible for, for mixing that up, but yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I had no idea they could live in such cold habitats. Do you know if they're laying their eggs to, to survive through the winters and then, then hatching at the end? Is that their life cycle? I mean, yeah, like if we consider it gets pretty cold up in Edmonton from time to time, and they uh, typically they'll lay their eggs and then... The eggs will hatch and the the nymphs or juveniles will fall down to the ground and burrow underground. And so they they live underground for about a year. Yeah, even like the annual cicadas, I believe, have a lifespan that are about a year to two years. And so, yeah, they feed off of the roots, systems of, of trees and other shrubs and whatnot. And then once they are ready, once the leaf out occurs in the summertime, then they get the signal. They know it's time for me to go up above and they'll come up above. They'll make their way sometimes up on a tree or as high up as they can. They'll shed their their exuvia and kind of uh, erupt with a split directly down the back into their adult form. It's amazing. If, if they can live two years, how would they live as an adult through a winter? Oh, sorry. So the it's the nymph stage that they last throughout that with oh. the adult stage. So yeah, they'll be underground for about a year or two, and then they'll come up, and they only last about three to six weeks as adults. So, and for those who are interested too, I'll just uh, quickly talk about what we talked about in our last cicada episode a lot, which is that cicadas are hemipterans, which is a group of insects that have this like straw-like structure that they use basically as their mouth and they'll pierce in the case of cicadas things like tree roots or or plants and they'll they'll suck up their food that way so imagine like a little straw tucked under their bellies um that's a very common feature identifying feature of of cicadas and and their relatives so they're yeah they have the piercing mouth part but they don't cause damage from their feeding it's when they actually when they pierce into the the trees whether it's like into the twigs of or branches of trees that can cause those twigs to die off but yeah the feeding activities are generally non-lethal to to trees and whatnot would that even be the case for the periodical cicadas that are coming out in such enormous numbers that is a good question. That's like something that I would love to be able to know and see more of. But unfortunately, all that I know of uh, comes from books on, on periodicals. And I've, I've never actually seen what they do. But from everything that, I mean, from those areas, everything that I've seen is really just pictures of egg laying that have caused destruction in plants. And even then, it's it's not, doesn't look like it's full like tree mortality. But yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't kill the whole tree. Interesting. Did you have any other fun facts that you wanted to share? I feel bad because, like, I, I don't know if I have fun facts so much as just, like, this innate sort of curiosity and love for them that I can't explain other than it just is there. It's a, something that I can't let go of. And, yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that is interesting, we just, we don't know so very much about Canadian species. And I know that y'all had talked about kind of their ecological importance and some of the threats facing them in the last episode as well. And so that's something that I'm curious about is how these these species, so for example, the three species of periodical cicadas in the States, they erupt every 13 or 17 years in a particular locality. So this past year, brood 10 erupted. That sounds so like such a loaded term, like erupted, you know, uh, <laughs> they, they emerged, but there is almost one single brood for every year of their cycles. So this year brood 10, but there are, you know, almost um, 17 broods or, or 13 broods for each of these species. And they have different distributions across the eastern United States. So, you know, brood 11 or brood, you know, 5 or something like that will still come up. And it's these ones, brood 10, that just came up, have been hatched and have burrowed underground. And then 17 years from now, brood 10 will come back in the area that it's at. But next year, another brood is going to come up somewhere else and... My, my curiosity is, especially with these creatures that have such a long nymphal stage, how do things like climate change affect their distribution? How does it affect their population numbers? If 17 years, you know, that's a long time to see changes in the environment, whether that's climate change or whether that's anthropogenic, you know, disturbance, forestry, development, things like that. So I'm, I guess I'm super curious about that just from a preservation perspective and because these are things that I think are so neat I just don't want to see them you know wiped out because their life history can't keep up with the pace of ours I guess I don't know if that I don't know if that's a cool thing about cicadas but that's something that I really want to to learn about regarding cicadas yeah and it's so important with bugs like they're such a basal element of food webs and and they have such a, a an amazing impact on all the associated species around them and the environment around them that, you know, it's so hard to tell. We're in, we're in a lab that studies like basically the networks of ecosystems and you learn how intertwined everything is. It's very difficult to predict uh, what would happen if an element wasn't there anymore. And so that's something I always think about with cicadas. But as you were talking about, you know, the impact of climate change on there, their cycling and and the brood emergence. Do you know what, how are they able to count the number of years that are going by? Do you know? So I believe that they're counting, it's uh, the number of leaf out cycles. So in the spring, when leaves, like the, the, the chemical changes in the plants cause the, the leaves to start to come out and photosynthesize and whatnot, that's what they're they're counting. And I believe... I had listened to, I think, Olivia, you had sent this to me and got me hooked on the show, but Ologies with Dr. Gene Kritsky, and he was talking about how there was one year 
where two leaf outs occurred or something like that owing to some sort of there was like a freezing rain situation or something and these this brood had come up a year ahead of schedule or something like that like because they were counting it's not the they don't have like an alarm clock that's like oh okay 17 years have gone by but it's the number of cycles of leaf out that they've counted and leaf out is is that when the leaves are growing mm-hmm. from the trees yeah mm. in the springtime that is scary with climate change yeah i know that this doesn't have to do with animal uh crossing but i should say that actually my first exposure to cicadas was in a video game many moons ago when I played Pokemon uh, Emerald for the first time. The third generation of Pokemon has a cicada Pokemon name of Ninkata. And when it evolves, if you have an extra slot in your party, so in Pokemon games, you have six Pokemon in your party at one time. If you only have five, so you've got an extra slot free, when it evolves, it's going to evolve into from this nymph form, Ninkata, into oh, what, Ninjask, and then also Shedinja, which is the Exuvier. Like, it's, it's an Exuvier <laughs> Pokemon. It's got a little halo and everything, and it's got the split down its back. And the, the other one is the adult form. So you get two Pokemon because when, yeah, cicadas emerge, they leave behind these, these shed selves. So... That's, that was my first exposure, and again, I know it's not uh, Animal Crossing, but it's, you know, Nintendo video game related. Yeah, we welcome any video game references, especially Pokemon. Like, I I didn't play Animal Crossing as a kid, I played Pokemon, um, but I didn't have a video game. Like, I didn't have the video game because I wasn't allowed a Nintendo DS, but I had the cards, <laughs> and I, I remember... I remember, like, yeah, different bug Pokemon, and they're like, we should just change this show into a Pokemon associated. <laughs> I think there is like a Science of Pokemon oh, is podcast. Yeah, oh, I forget listen. what it's called. Yeah, but it's funny. I feel like the Pokemon that you're like attracted to as a kid are totally because I, I kind of feel the same sort of connection with whales. I would say, although it's totally not as like unique of a thing i'm sure there's a lot of people who are really obsessed with whales but i kind of always have been and i remember i don't remember the name but there was like that huge whale pokemon that was like a blue whale like i also just had the cards but i remember that was like my prized card i'm thinking um, whale lord there's whalemer and whale like lord. i'm googling these now i'll look it up <laughs> i love the i just googled the cicada pokemon and like oh I love it when artists do this. The the like lowest evolution of this Pokemon is like pale in color and has these little tiny wings, which is so accurate to what nymphs look like. They're always just kind of like pale and like and the Exuvier is so cute. Like it has like little wings, but the wings are just like the like the yeah, like you said, the split when <laughs> when the adult emerges. It's really cool. And actually, if you oh, like, I love that. play as it, because you can see it from behind, it will have legitimately the split down its back. So. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you, Pokemon, for being scientifically <laughs> accurate in your fantasy. Even even the, like, the adult cicada Pokemon, I'm sorry, I don't know its name, Ninjask, has, like, the grill. Like, yeah. we were talking about the grill in the front of their face. That is a really cool thing about cicadas. Like, if you look up a picture of them, look at their face. Like, it is... 
It's very like sci-fi. Yeah. Like looking. Oh, so cool. I mean, honestly, they are relatively harmless. I know a lot of people that are scared of them. They are large, but I mean, I've been lucky enough to hold a number of them when I've been able to actually get my hands on them. But yeah, I've never had even like the slightest uh, negative experience with them. Are they hard to catch? I would say so. Yeah. Even. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here they get like, because there's, you need to hear them to be able to find them and they often get spooked. And so they'll stop calling as soon as you get close. And then oftentimes when you do get close enough, it'll fly away. And they're rather clumsy beings. When I lived in Japan, that was the, again, the first time that I would see them and the forest in the mornings would just erupt with the noise of cicadas in the summer. And so, like sometimes you would hear them flying on the ground because they'd be on their back trying to get away from you, but they're just skittering across the road. So yeah, they, they, they can be flighty, but I guess it depends on how many you're finding. If, if it's a periodical cicada uh, emergence, then probably not very difficult to get your hands on. But yeah, here it is certainly <laughs> a lot more difficult. And have you ever eaten cicada? No, I haven't. Heard some people say they can eat them. Yeah, I mean curious about that but I guess I haven't gotten my hands on enough of them and also just because I, I really like them and want to make sure that things you know ecologically are stable I'm, I'm not really gonna go out of my way to, to <laughs> impact their numbers any more than they might already be they're like one of those niche things you know where it's like either you hate them or you really really like them um, because I know a lot of people that don't like them and I'm, I can't, I, I mean, like every time I hear someone's like bad story with them, I kind of like, I feel bad for them. Like, for example, Olivia, when you're talking about encountering one in Spain, I was like, oh yeah, that would be like a little bit disconcerting. But like, also my immediate thought is like, oh, lucky, like, you know, like I wanted to be in your <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Yeah, he's referring to a story I told, I think on the yeah last Cicada episode where like I had, I was sitting on a roof in Spain and there were a lot of like telephone poles and like electronic things and a cicada started like calling right behind me and they're so unbelievably loud that I thought a telephone pole was like falling because it sounded like creaking metal. <laughs> <laughs> so it gave me a heart attack, but it was so cool. It was so cool to be that close to one. So I don't regret that, that incident. Yeah, I'm sure that if I lived in an area of the States where periodicals emerged, maybe... No, you know, I I still think I I consider those people lucky. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So appreciate your cicadas, what you're mm -hmm. saying. And honestly, just appreciate the things that are kind of weird and small. And even if some people think that they're gross or annoying, then, you know, appreciate the, the neat things about them because... I don't know. Those are just, those are characteristics that we associate with them because we're oftentimes, I feel like we're socialized into doing so. Like why do people not like spiders? Well, they're a little bit creepy sometimes, but maybe if we didn't have all of the stigma associated with them, then we wouldn't necessarily dislike them so much. And yeah, I don't know. I know it's impossible to remove our, our preconceived like associations from things. We form them over time anyway, but just, whether it's a cicada or another insect or another creature that just 
appreciate those small things out there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it was nice to hear, bringing it back to, again, our meeting yesterday, one of the volunteers in the lab hadn't worked with insects at all before and was talking about how excited she was about them now, which just made me feel so like happy because I feel like it really sometimes takes like looking through a microscope at insects to really get fascinated and get really excited about them. Even like the really small things, like you just suddenly see all these beautiful details that are very artistic and and really extraordinary structures. So I don't know. I, I know some people get like extra creeped out looking through a microscope at them, but I, I think it's almost necessary. Like it was at least for me to really get into them. This is like such a nice conversation as sort of an antidote to Blathers and his anti-bug stance, <laughs> his propaganda. Anti-bugness. He needs to look through a microscope. <laughs> he has to have one out there at the museum. But I bet there is one. I feel like when at the start of the video game, when he's in this little tent, yeah. there was a microscope. Definitely. So he's got to have one. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming on. That was just so much great information. And I just could really feel the love for cicadas in the studio today (laughs) absolutely and thanks everyone so much for listening don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers and follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye